Hi, this is Pastor Craig. Thank you for tuning in for the latest episode of my podcast. I hope you enjoy it. You can contact us at studyhiswordministries at yahoo.com. Thanks again. Good morning and welcome. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we have this morning. Father, help us to clear out our hearts and our minds so that we could be focused on your word and we would glean from your word that which you would want us to hear today. Father, we thank you for everything that you have done in the past, everything that you're doing today, and everything that you're going to be doing in the future. To you, we give all the praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Okay. This morning, we are continuing our study in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. The last time that we were together, we went through uh, verse 29, but due to some extenuating circumstances, I didn't feel like I really covered um, verse 29 very well. So I would like to start this morning in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. Paul writes, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He says here, and he starts out, he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. Jesus is speaking here and he says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So Jesus is instructing them. He says, Understand that those things that come out of your mouth, they're, they're either evil or they're good. And it's, you know, you will be either condemned or justified by your words. It shows the importance of what we say. And, he's, and, and Paul says here, corrupt words, and that can cover a whole realm of things. Here in Ephesians, look ahead in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 4, Paul's talking. He's giving some instructions. Um, actually, back up to 3, it says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Verse 4, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And so the point there is, you know, our words don't necessarily have to be evil or harshly intended. Just the coarse joking and jesting around and foolish talking, things that have no real value. There's, there's just no place for that in our speech. Things, you know, idle chat, gossip, insults, all these different forms of, of words that we speak, they have no place in the Christian life. They don't edify God. They don't edify the hearers. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. That statement in there, to speak evil of no one, reminds me of the thing that, you know, 
our parents used to tell us when we were kids, and I don't know if, they, if parents today still do, but, you know, I was told, if you don't have something nice to say about somebody, then don't say anything at all. It's the same thing as, he's, as Titus, you know, saying, or as Paul saying to Titus, speak evil of no one. So even though our words may not necessarily be bad, if it doesn't have any benefit, it's not worth saying. Those, those are really useless words. In Ephesians there, Paul says, Don't let corrupt words come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And edification, all that is, is that's building up. It's something positive. It's encouragement, whatever. Now, we know that we are supposed to rebuke our brothers and sisters when they're in sin and things like that. But even when we rebuke, we do not do it in such a way that we're gloating or we're lording over them. The key here is when Paul says that we may impart grace to the hearers. So if we're, even if we're rebuking somebody for their sin, it must be done with grace, must be counseled with grace. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 in verse 6, Paul says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Again, let your speech always be with grace. The whole idea is that our speech is positive, it's loving, but it's edifying, it's building up, it's constructive. Um, it's the exact opposite of harmful speech. And unfortunately, you know, we live in a society where most of, a lot of the speech that goes on on a daily basis is harmful speech one way or another, whether the motivations are, you know, jealousy or envy or egotism, pride, whatever. There's so much harmful speech out there. Uh, the idea, though, is as a Christian, our speech is for the benefit of others, to build others up. And we do that when we put others first. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul's talking about some of the different spiritual gifts. And the reason that we're given gifts is we're given spiritual gifts to benefit the body of Christ, to benefit the body of believers. Look in Romans chapter 12, verse, starting in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Look how many of those involve speech. Prophecy involves speech. Teaching. Teaching involves speech. Exhortation. Uh, exhorting others, those all involve speech. And those are gifts that we're given for the benefit and the building up of others. It shows the role that our tongue plays. It shows the role that speech plays in the body of believers. It is so important for building up others, for teaching others, for guiding and directing others, for rebuking others, all for the benefit of the body, yet it all involves speech. And that's why it is so important how our speech is, that it is 
positive speech, positive from the standpoint that it edifies the body. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Again, there Paul's showing the importance of our speech, um, teaching and admonishing one another. And he says, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And much could be said about, you know, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but the point there is that it's a form of communication, it's an important form of communication, and it edifies both the hearer and it edifies God. And I don't think he was trying to be very specific from the standpoint of uh, breaking it down into three different categories as psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but more or less just kind of a more general breakdown showing the wide range of musical communication that we can do. Uh, the, the, just as a side note, I think one of the reasons that people my age and older, those of us that grew up listening to the traditional hymns, and even despite all the Christian the contemporary Christian music that's out there today that I like, I still love the hymns. And when you look at those old hymns, there is so much real solid doctrine in those hymns that the hymns themselves can be a teaching tool. In other words, the hymns themselves, because there is so much doctrine in them, reinforce that which we should should know or that we should learn. And so again, it's just another form of communication. It's another form of teaching. All of this I say to show that the purpose of our speech, the purpose of our speech is building up and it's a, and a conduit for grace. Because Paul tells us here that it may impart grace to the hearers. And all he's saying there that it may impart grace to the healers is the same as saying it may impart spiritual blessing to the hearers. It is a picture of the fact that we should not look like the world and we should not talk like the world, that our speech has a different purpose, edifying the hearer and imparting grace. Uh, in verse 30, he goes on and says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word and in there is in the Greek. So it's a proper translation when it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's in the Greek. And when you have that word and there, it's a connection from the previous statement to the coming up statement. So... The statement coming up is based on what he said previously. So what he's saying here is, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, no corrupt things should come out of your mouth because we do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Or do not grieve the Holy Spirit because of corrupt words coming out of your mouth. That word grieve, if you look it up in the... Um, I always go back to Webster's 1828 Dictionary. The reason that I use Webster's 1828 Dictionary is that is probably the best dictionary for the English language when we're studying the Bible. 
Because when Noah Webster put that dictionary together, he was giving the definitions that as those words were being used in that time. So the 1828 dictionary is an excellent one for understanding the, wor the meanings of words, for instance, in the Declaration of Independence, in the United States Constitution, in the Federalist Papers, what the people at that time were writing, what the words meant. And that's important because we've talked about this before. We know how the meanings or usages of words change over time. Perfect example, gay today does not mean what gay meant 100 years ago. And there are plenty of other examples of that usages change. But the Webster's 1828 Dictionary is excellent because he, he defines the words that you will see in the Bible uh, to what they meant at that time. The meaning of the word grieve when he says, and, and Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. To grieve means to give pain of mind or to wound the feelings, to offend, displease, or provoke. Now, there are many ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. There are many ways we can offend, displease, provoke the Holy Spirit. Turn to Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14. God's speaking. He says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. The religious hypocrisy and the disbelief by Israel was wearing God out. It was offending him. It was grieving him. While you're there in Isaiah, turn to chapter 7 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? It's along the same lines there in Isaiah 1, where the hypocrisy and the disbelief of Israel was wearying God. It was grieving God. Isaiah chapter 63. Turn to Isaiah chapter 63. 3 verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Again, we see that their rebellion grieves the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go there, but Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 43, we read that the idolatry of Israel was grieving the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul is using that, and he's specifically referring to our corrupt speech. And our corrupt speech is a reflection of our heart. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, were, they had come to Jesus and they were criticizing his disciples for not washing their hands before they broke bread. And uh, in verse 17, Jesus' response is, Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. His point there is, what comes out of our mouth is what defiles us, and what comes out of our mouth is what's in our heart. So when we have corrupt 
words, when we speak corrupt words, the question is, what is in our heart? You know, do we, do we boast and do we exaggerate and tell things like that because we have pride in our heart? You know, are we, do we say hateful words because we have anger in our heart uh, or bitterness? Um, do we say belittling things because we have envy and jealousy in our heart? So that's, that's, that's the real source of the corrupt words that we speak. And that is, we're com- what's coming out of our mouth is a reflection of what is in our heart at that time. So part of the, um, us controlling the words that come out of our mouth is to be aware of what's in our heart. What is driving me to say those things that I'm saying? Why am I doing that? What is in my heart? Because that's the source of where our words are coming from. Back in Ephesians here. Um, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So first of all, we're sealed, we're protected, it's a guarantee, and the Spirit is in us. And because the Spirit is in us, That is the mechanism by which we can put out those evil things that we have in our heart, those evil thoughts that we have, those desires to say the corrupt words, the evil things that we're led to say. The mechanism for us to be able to control that and get it out of us is because we have the Spirit in us. And as Paul says, and we are sealed for the day of redemption. Speaking of the, for our redemption, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Paul says, not only that, but we also, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Because our body here is corrupt, we, as Paul says, we eagerly await for that redemption of our body, which will be made perfect. So that time we look forward to where we're made perfect, but while we're here, we have a corrupt body. Because we have a corrupt body, we have evil thoughts in our minds and evilness in our heart that leads us to Again, say corrupt words, but we have the mechanism in the Holy Spirit to help us control those things. It all goes back to um, verses you know, 25, or actually 22 through 24, where Paul's talking about putting away the old man, renewing our minds, putting on the new man. And why do we do that? We do that because, as he said in Ephesians 4.1, so that we walk worthy of the call that we've been given. Why do we want to walk worthy of the call we've been given? Because it brings glory to God. Finishing up here in Ephesians, what's interesting when Paul runs down through these verses here in 25 through 30 where he's talking about what it looks like 
to be putting away the old man and be putting on the new man. It's, it's interesting. You know, he talks about stealing, and he talks about uh, being angry, but he opens it up. He opens it up with talking about lying, and then he closes it with talking about corrupt speech. So we see there's two different times where he's talking about speech, what comes out of our mouth. And it just really emphasizes the point of how harmful to others we can be, how sinful we can be just through our speech. And having said that, I want to say this. We talk, he talked about first in Ephesians 25 about a specific form of speech, and that being lying. We can go to scriptures in James where James talks about hurtful speech and how much damage the tongue can do. But when Paul closes this up in 29, it's kind of like an overall statement where he talks about let no corrupt word come from your mouth. So while we can go and we can find all the different specifics about lying and bearing false witness and hurtful speech that James talks about, Paul closes this with let no corrupt word speech No no corrupt word come from your mouth, and the reason being is so that you do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It shows the seriousness of our words in whatever form they would be. So again, the idea is as a Christian, our words that come out of our mouth should be for the edification of others and that which brings glory to God. And how do we do that? We do that by letting the Holy Spirit work in our life so that, and, and part of that is, you know, loving God and loving people. When we love people and have their best interests in mind, it's going to help curtail our corrupt speech. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we just thank you for this time that we've had. We thank you for the word that you have given us. Father, help us to clean out those evil thoughts and, and deeds from our heart, that the words that come out of our mouth would bring edification to others, and our words would bring glory to you, so that, Father, people would look at us and say, he is walking in a manner that's worthy of his calling. Again, we give you all the honor, praise, and glory. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please make sure that you hit the subscribe button so you will not miss a single episode of our podcast. Have a great day.